Woo! We're having church. That's church. <laughs> if you haven't been to church for a while, we're we all happy to be in church now? Isn't that great? <laughs> I will not be surprised if, if many of you here will be the first ones to register for next Sunday. As Sarah said at the very beginning, you get to register right away, and everyone at home gets to register right around uh, 1 o'clock this afternoon. You can get back online and, and register. But delighted that you're here. Delighted to be with you uh, in this time of worship. And so uh, I know I, uh, I probably look different. You haven't seen me for a while. I'm not any taller, maybe a little wider, you know, a little packing on the COVID-15, uh, as they call it around here. But uh, uh, we're delighted here. Okay, let's, let's open our Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Here's my question for you. Have you ever been late to church? As I see some people coming around. Have you ever been late to church? I'm not talking five or ten minutes late. I'm talking you forgot it's daylight savings time. You didn't set your clock and you're an hour late. Has anyone ever done that? Yeah? You ever walk in as the preacher is just kind of wrapping up the, the final part of the sermon, just kind of bringing it to conclusion. That's where we are in the letter to the Hebrews, which is really a sermon Chapter 12 and 13, you can read that in 10 minutes. So just imagine walking in the last 10 minutes of probably an hour and a half long sermon. So most people are already half asleep by, by this point. They're kind of passing out. But you came in for the last bit, for the application, for principles of Christian living. And that's what we're going to be focusing on all summer. Jesus is better, 11 chapters of theology, and now... So what? What do we do? How do we live? And here we are in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 to 17, and it will be uh, on the screen as well. Let's read that. It says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy without holiness. No one will see the Lord. And see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up and to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Verse 17, afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us now to, to grow in, in grace and truth, Lord God. We pray that we would take hold of your grace today and that our faith would be stretched uh, in the words that I prepared for, for us this morning. Amen. So here we are in the final application part of, of a letter, which is really a sermon to the Hebrews. These would be uh, Jewish Christians, people who had been converted to the faith, who had accepted Yeshua as the Messiah. And so, like most sermons that you've heard from this pulpit, the, the preacher at the end is just adding application. How then do we live this new Christian life? And here the preacher is focused on two very important elements, personal responsibility and corporate accountability. He's explaining what every follower of Jesus needs to do in order to confirm their salvation in Jesus Christ. Make sure that it's clearly shown that, that you are born again into Christ. To show that you're growing in faith. 
to show that you're living well in accord with Scripture, in accord to, he says in Hebrews 10, 24, quote, to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And so he's going to lay out three responsibilities that we're to do individually and three ways we're to hold one another accountable in community. So if you're taking notes, if you're taking notes at home, uh, here's a, a brief outline in three points. Number one, we're to live in peace with everyone. Number two, we're to lead a holy life. And number three, we're to look after one another. And then like most preachers, he has another sub three points under that third point. And so everyone's waiting for lunch. I know, I know. That's what preachers do. Okay, so let's walk through the text and it'll be on the screen as well. And it'll be on the screen at home uh, for you to follow along. We're, again, we're in chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, verses 14 to 17. So the first point he wants to make is we are responsible to live in peace with everyone. Verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Now that term there, that phrase that's translated in the NIV, make every effort, in the Greek it literally means pursue it, strive for it, put effort into pursuing peace with everyone you meet. And that's a good reminder for us, isn't it? Especially right now, especially in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis, after the riots, after people being so upset, I think peace, along with PPE, is in short supply. And so we as a church are being called here to take personal responsibility, to do everything that we can personally to strive for for peace. And not just getting along, but shalom, peace, wholeness, harmony with our neighbors, with everyone that we come in contact with. And you know this. There's too much bickering. There's too much politicking around wearing masks, opening restaurants, returning to school. How many of you are sick of it? Okay, great. I see a lot of hands going up here. How about at home? You sick of it? And more than bickering, there's rage in our country over race, over the race for a vaccine, over the race for the White House. And you flip on the TV or you look at social media, you have conversations with with neighbors, those go well, but everything on our little screens are telling us everything's going to pieces. I believe it's being stoked by powers that we talked about in our Revelation series. Many, many other influences as well, but if you just go back uh, two months to our series through the book of Revelation, can't we see how relevant it is? Powers that we don't even see that are pulling strings like a puppet. And so because of that, that outrage, and because of those puppet strings being pulled, there is great amount of fear that's displacing any notion of peace. Fear of losing what people hold most dear and near. Fear of losing one's freedom. We, we cherish our freedom and independence. And more than that, there's fear of, of losing jobs and lost opportunity and wealth. Fear of losing equity. Fear of losing the opportunity for prosperity. And beyond all those things, deeper than all those things, I believe our nation is in a spiritual crisis, the likes of which we have not seen in a long time. And not enough of us are willing to take personal responsibility 
to do the right thing, to care for one another, for the welfare of our neighbors and our fellow citizens. And so the preacher says Christians, in that context, 2,000 years ago, but as relevant then as it is now, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Let's talk about justice. Term justice, we're hearing that a lot these days. Justice is being defined, really in many ways, being redefined by all sorts of people, by politicians and celebrities and influencers and talking heads on TV. The reality is justice has already been defined by the very character of God. Amen? In agreement on that? In agreement at home? Okay, I can hear you. The Lord our God is a just God. The Lord our God is calling us to be people of justice. He calls us to live in the way of Jesus, which means in part that we as Christians are to be the ones that are the most respectful of other people, to show respect and love for each other despite cultural or, or political or even religious differences. It should be Christians that are reaching out. It should be Christians that we see on the news that are starting those positive conversations and are having positive influence in the public square. Psalm 34, verse 14, if you're taking notes, says this, Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. This is a theme throughout the scriptures. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome, a church that's being persecuted, a church that has the heavy hand of Rome upon them. He writes this, if at all possible. No, don't, don't roll over. It's not, you're not a doormat. We're not talking about complete 100% uh, pacifism. If at all possible. In so much as it has to do with you, personal responsibility, be at peace with everyone. So what's he saying there? He's saying, don't be the cause of the conflict. You might get into a conflict, you might get sucked into it, but don't be the cause of the agitation. Which is rich coming from Paul because he was such an agitator, right? Like, don't cause trouble. And yet Paul got the label as the biggest troublemaker in the empire. Well, that's where he found himself. And I find myself in a very interesting place here now with you in person, but all of you online at home. I'm still trying to figure out how to pursue peace and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in today's culture, a culture that's known as the cancel culture, where you can be boycotted for the things that you teach, the things that you say, where there's constant virtue signaling. People wanting to look good from far, but they're far from good. Their motives might be questionable, but as long as they say the right thing, they say the popular thing, they say the populist thing, then they'll be fine. But if they say something that would be contrary, then what happens? And what are, we, what are we about? The way of Jesus. You can't get more countercultural than that. So how do we find our way? A time of culture, 
uh, cancel culture, boycotting, virtue signaling, internet shaming. I, I, I've been told that preachers are triggering people. Your words are making me afraid for myself. I, I, I feel afraid for the words, the ideas that you're communicating. What happened to, to free speech, to the sharing of, of ideas? No, you should stop. Your words are hurting me. So how do I communicate God's unchanging truth in an ever-changing world? We're in the midst of a broader cultural phenomenon, the likes of which most of us here have not seen. One certainly hasn't been seen in many decades. And I want to say to us, it is incumbent on us, I'll take responsibility, it's incumbent on me to take responsibility. It's my responsibility. It's my duty to strive for peace. But at the same time, at the same time, point number two, we are responsible to lead a holy life. Look at verse 14, the second half. To strive for holiness. Why? Because it says, without holiness, what? No one will see the Lord. And so there's an interesting balancing act here, isn't there? We're to make peace with people. We're to get along more than get along. We're supposed to do good. We're supposed to bring shalom, peace. That means harmony. We want to bless the city. Uh, Jeremiah 29, we want to do those things that, that bring peace, and yet we want to make war with sin. How do we strike that balance? Well, according to Scripture, according to the book of Hebrews, we need to stake, take a stand. We need to stand up. We need to fight for biblical ethics. We need to reject anything that's unholy. That means anything that's utterly opposed to the will of God. That means we need to take aim at growing in Christ-like character and growing in righteousness that will be unpopular. They talk about preach the gospel and use words if you have to. Now imagine a time when even your actions could be seen as offensive. Even your actions of trying to reach out and serve. With your mask on, you don't even say a word. You've offended me. I'm offended. I'm going to cancel you. I'm taking a break from social media for a little while, folks. I don't know about you, but I, I just need, need to step away from it for a little bit. Maybe you do too. Especially as we go into this deep election cycle. Who knows who you're, you're talking to? Is it a real person from a swing state or is it a bot? We can get into that conversation another time. I love it. Whatever, every time I've been a pastor for 20 years and every election cycle, I get folks to say, oh, you're definitely siding with this side. You're definitely siding with that side. I'm like, yep. You can take the words and turn them any which way you want. Just don't, don't cancel me quite yet. So live a holy life. 1 Peter 1.13, Peter talks about living a holy life. He says it's part of being personal, personally responsible and Peter says it means being alert to what we're getting ourselves into. Do you, do you have to have an alertness, an awareness of the things that you're engaged in, the conversations, the places that you've gone? Peter would say one way of pursuing a holy life is to avoid some of those things. So the preacher says, pursue peace with everyone, but at the same time, do not compromise your allegiance to Jesus. And why is that important? Why? Quote, without holiness, no one will, what? See God. Friends, there are 
professing Christians. See, now this is where someone thinks, okay, pastor's going to take pot shots at people that are outside the church. No, this is really talking about the church family. It's something we all have to reflect on, and so hear that. I, I need to reflect on it in my own life. Because the reality is there are professing Christians who live unholy lives, and they take no responsibility for pursuing holiness. And the Bible warns us of Jesus' terrible words to such a person who is not leading or pursuing a holy life. Matthew 7.23, the terrible words that Jesus will say on that day, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Many lives have been hurt and communities ruined by misunderstanding and misappropriating that scripture, but it's one that we have to hear. The Apostle Paul says to professing Christians in Romans 8.13, to people who say, I believe in Jesus, I've given everything to follow Jesus, he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That doesn't really ring like a great lyric to a song, right? We always want to keep it positive, right? We want to keep it positive. But Paul knows the reality. He's a pastor. I'm a pastor. We need to check in with each other. If we're living according to the flesh, according to our own fleshly desires, he says your spirit will wither. So friends, we need to take personal responsibility to live at peace with everyone and to lead a holy life. But listen, listen, all of our effort must be fully reliant on God's grace to do that. Let me put it another way. Any effort to lead the Christian life, to pursue these things, in our own strength, will fail. It will fail. We need God's grace every day to make peace with the world, harmony, and to make war with sin. 1 Peter 4, verse 11 says it this way. If anyone serves, he's talking about those that are serving in the church or serving in the community. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Listen, when, when religious-minded people get into trouble, it's when they're living the Christian life, the walk with Jesus, relying on their own strength and not on daily grace, on the strength of God. It's when they're relying on their past achievements, their past resume, Versus the finished work of Christ and just coming again and again to the gospel and just receiving again a word of, of unmerited favor from God. And that leads to our, our third point. Our third lesson is this look after one another. The preacher here is addressing the whole church. He's not talking to pastor or elders, he's talking to the whole church and he's saying here, look after one another. A Christian walk was not meant to be a solo affair. We're meant to, to do it together. We, we need to be responsible for one another. And friends, just as a little personal aside, I feel such a tremendous burden of accountability, of care for you, for your well-being, for everyone watching. As a shepherd, I don't know what's really happening in the life of our congregation. 
you know, at the end of the day, I'll be held responsible. We'll get to that passage too. Yikes. I'm not sure who's preaching that one, but I need to hear that one again too. So the only way we can do this in Christian community, especially with COVID, with the shutdown, with so few of us able to gather in person, and I can only connect with so many of you, we have to watch out for one another. And here it is. Here's the text that I needed to hear today. Look after one another. So under point three, like most preachers do, he's got three subpoints. okay? I, I know that's just what happens, but it's important enough to understand the Christian life that's built on daily grace and not in our own strength, that he runs through these three points. Okay, follow it with me. Verse 15, he says, see to it. So make sure all of us collectively are checking out, on, checking up on one another in care, not being nosy, but in care and in love and in peace. Number one, that no one falls short of the grace of God. Number two, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And then number three, verse 16, that no one is sexually immoral or, and meaning put another way, is godless or unholy like Esau. Let me go through those briefly. So we're, so we're responsible personally for peace, to be peacemakers. We're responsible personally to pursue holiness, to live the Jesus way, for, for, for reliance on God's grace and for his glory. And because of that, pursuit, because that pursuit is not a solo thing, we also have responsibilities and accountability to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so what do we say here at Maple Valley Church? We are what? We are family. We're family. We care for one another. Maybe you came from a dysfunctional family, and no family is perfect, right? Our family isn't perfect, but this is the goal that we're reaching the value that we have, that we care for one another, just not as passing acquaintances, but as, as brother, as sister. So verse 15, under that umbrella of looking out after one, uh, look at verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. The Bible says God's grace is available to us every single day. Does anyone Take advantage of God's grace today. Have you received God's grace today? Amen. God is willing to forgive and, and bless us in spite of all the facts to the contrary, that we don't deserve his generosity, yet God generously pours out his grace into our lives. And so grace is actively, continually working in his people. And as recipients of his grace, Christians are then to be gracious towards one another. So grace is given to us, not just for our own personal benefit, but then to serve those around us, to exercise our spiritual gifts, to build up the church. That's what it means to, to look out for one another as a family of faith. So what's the problem? What's the problem if there's grace abounds in your life, the opportunity uh, take, to take a hold of grace in your life? What's the problem? The problem is here, the preacher says, a person in the church failing to take hold of that grace, failing to appropriate God's grace on a daily basis. And so they start to slip away. And so then any activity that they're involved in is self-empowered instead of empowered by the Holy Spirit. And here's a person who's doing many, many good things, but they look good from far, but they are far from good. It's possible in the original context in, in this church uh, in which the letter was sent 
It's very possible that there are people slipping back into their old religious habits, their old external processes of getting right with God. Then and now, it's very easy to pass as a growing Christian, to pass as someone who has a living relationship with God. I mean, I can raise my hand. We can do this, right? Don't I look holy? I'm smiling. I'm smiling. I'm receiving. Can we do different hand motions, right? Am I, is this working, Rob? Is this it? Is this how it works, like this? Yeah, that one? But it's all external. And this is someone who's not growing in grace. Is not receiving God's grace. They're only going through the motions. And if you can have an honest conversation with someone who's in this place, and we know people who've been in this place. Maybe you have been in this place. Maybe you're there right now, and I love you, and I want you to hear this from a place of love. Have you ever said this or thought this? I read the text, but I don't hear anything. I show up for church, but it doesn't mean anything. I give my tithe. I serve on a team or a board or council, but I don't get anything out of it. They need me more than I need them. I know more. I do more. I make a bigger contribution than more than half the people out there. I deserve better. That's a brother or sister who is falling away from the grace of God. This is a brother or sister who is not abiding in the Holy Spirit. And it's our shared accountability that's called for here. Not being a busybody, not being nosy. Hmm, what's, what, have you been reading your scriptures? Not being judgy, not pointing a finger, really coming alongside. Like, how, how are you really doing with all, with all of this? How, how's your prayer life? How, how are your most important relationships really going right now? It's often someone who pulls away from that kind of connection because they don't want to have someone ask those hard questions. This kind of falling short of God's grace, it, it translates into religious practice without abiding relationship, just going through the motions. And what's the result? What's he say? What's the preacher say? He says it results in bitterness. You ever eat something that's bitter? What's the deed to your face? You ever see someone at church that just kind of walk around like this? Bitterness. So that leads to the second point, uh, verse 15b, number two. He says, see to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So this is not, now it's moved beyond how it impacts that individual person, maybe even their family unit or their circle of friends or their small group. Now, the, the trouble is that it could cause defilement and issues for many in the church. This theme of bitterness shows up throughout the scriptures. James 3 says, relying on one's own wisdom instead of the wisdom of God results in a person who harbors, quote, wait for it, bitter envy and selfish ambition. James speaks to that. Falling away from, from grace, it can manifest itself in different ways. Maybe it means someone who isn't interested in pursuing peace. Maybe it's 
manifests itself in someone who's far more interested publicly in pursuing holiness, but not personally. They love to keep everyone else accountable, but not themselves. And that decay, that damage, grows under the surface. It's out of sight, out of, out of sight from the whole congregation until it's too late and it starts to, to pop up like the weeds that I'm sure you pulled plenty of weeds back in early spring and now you got to go back there and pull out all the more. And sadly, I have a lot of firsthand experience and examples of this, but not at Maple Valley Church. Not yet. Things that could be dealt with, nipped in the bud. This is someone who's angry, angry at the world, angry at the hand they've been dealt, angry at God. And so in reality, they're not living by faith. They're not taking hold of the means of God's grace. And they are graceless. They are works-based. They are keeping score in their religious scorecard. They may be a professing Christian, but they're not a real peacemaker. They're not living a holy life. And they may, it says here, lead others astray. Now, really what I want you to be doing here isn't thinking, okay, who fits that bill? I really want you to be checking your own heart. Is there any sense of bitterness that's grown up in me that I need to confess and get right with the Lord? A critical spirit? I easily say something that I know will get a laugh from others, but it's at the expense of someone else. What are those things we need to deal with? See, this is a, this is a subject that believers have dealt with for millennia. Let's go back. Let's go back to Moses' last sermon. Moses' final sermon before, uh, before he went to glory. Deuteronomy 29, verses 16 to 19. I'm pulling, I'm pulling a classic pastor thing. The sermon's almost over, and now I'm bringing in a whole other text. I get it. But follow along, okay? Deuteronomy 29, verses 16 to 19. And Moses is preparing his people, and he's offering them two choices. A life of blessing that we're just saying, the blessing but also the threat of a curse. Take a hold of this blessing for generations upon generations or else suffer consequences. And this is what he says in verse 16 and 19. He says, you know how we lived in Egypt and how we passed through those countries on the way to the promised land. You saw many of their detestable images and idols and of wood and stone, of silver and gold. Make sure that no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go worship the gods of those nations, make sure that there is, quote, listen, no root among you that produces such a bitter person. Just human nature. Now, here's the cause of the bitterness. You think, well, what, was it because they were dealt a bad hand. I mean, maybe they're a victim of their circumstances. No, no, no. It's personal responsibility. Look at verse 19. No one wants to take responsibility for their actions anymore. The Bible clearly says, no, you are responsible for the mess that you're in. Look at verse 19. It says, when such a person, a person who has bitterness in their heart, when such a person hears the words of this oath and they evoke a blessing on themselves. So they've just heard the team sing and how they're singing a blessing over all the generations, they've heard this. They think to themselves, quote, I will be safe. I'm good, I'll be safe. 
even though I persist in going my own way. They will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry. What's Moses saying? Moses is saying this person will have devastating impact on the people of God. Someone who says, I'll receive the blessing and I'll keep going my own way. Throughout the letter of Hebrews, the, the preacher warns against Christians who are Christian in name only. He says again and again, Jesus' way is better. So take hold of it, live it out, rely on God's grace every day. Don't turn it into a checklist again of religion. So MVC, let's make it our aim to be people who live at peace with everyone, who, who lead holy lives, who look after one another, that we don't slip away from grace, that we don't allow bitterness to grow out of self-reliance. And finally, and, and here it is, uh, part three, 16a, see that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau. Now here's what preachers do. He's pulling up some Old Testament illustration of Esau who sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Can you imagine? The oldest son, he was going to inherit everything. He comes in hot, tired. He wants some food. And his brother offers him soup, lentil soup. And he says, you can't have my soup, my lentil soup. I mean, lentil soup. I've had, as long as you give me your birthright, he says, fine, take it. His appetite was so important to him that he forfeited his inheritance. And the preacher makes a bit of a leap here to say that, to say, look after one another so that, it says sexual, so no one's sexually immoral or, or godless. And, and that's definitely an important thing. But Genesis 25, there's no reference to Esau doing something sexually immoral. It does say that he married two non-Hebrew women and that he brought bitterness to his parents. And, and that's immoral and that's, that's no good. He's got two wives and all the trouble that that caused. But on, so on one level, there's a, a sense there and someone who's watching this, who's not a believer is like, oh great, of course, the preacher's talking about sex. Like, no, well, listen, in the Old Testament, this could also be a metaphor for idolatry. That is, someone who is abandoning right relationship with the living God. Idolatry is worshiping an idol or being excessively devoted to something or someone other than God. It's often understood in the terms of being unfaithful, which is in turn being sexually immoral, unholy. He says, don't be like Esau. See, Esau didn't care about his birthright. He didn't care about what God had offered to him in the blessing. He gave it all up for a bowl of soup. And he didn't take responsibility for his actions. He was a victim. My, my little brother tricked me. Esau doesn't want to take responsibility. He wants to play the victim. He wants that blessing from his father, but his father cannot give it to him anymore because he's forfeited it. And so Esau is a tragic figure, completely responsible for his own situation. He can't blame anyone. We're so filled with people that want to blame everyone else. All play the victim. And here in Scripture it says, no, man up, take personal responsibility, Esau. And the point is this. The preacher is warning his listeners not to take God's grace for granted by pursuing instant gratification. By saying, it's no big deal. I'll receive the blessing and persist in my ways. I'll receive the blessings and the things that are hard, the things I don't like about church, the things that 
are difficult, I'll put aside. He says, don't do that. Don't miss out. Esau is a man who never repented. He never took responsibility. And so what's the lesson for us? The team is going to start coming up. You can come up now for our closing song. If you've done something that you know isn't right before God, even now, if, if you know there's something that's not right between you and God, you've been keeping that list, you haven't been engaged in faith, repent of it right now and receive God's grace, his grace for you. Say, Lord, I messed up. I know you messed up. Please forgive me. I forgive you. Come and change my life. I'll change it. And some of us here and some of us at home need to have that kind of conversation with God before the end of this last song to see and to understand and accept that God is with us, that we can experience grace and love and forgiveness and healing, redemption and recovery and resurrection. It's not too late for God's grace to change you today. So number one, live in peace with everyone. Number two, lead a holy life. And number three, as a church, let's love one another. Let's be warm and encouraging towards one another. Even as we leave today and we have to exit, I know, just check in with one another. Check in with someone today. Tell them God loves you, and so do I. So God, we pray this, this morning that this word would sink in, Lord. I think about friends that are watching this that, that aren't believers. They're like, oh man, this just sounds like more religion. Lord God, there might be someone who walked in the last 10 minutes and they're just hearing a big list to do. I should do this. I should do that. God, if it's missing, if it's absent of grace, of the offer that you've given to us, if we're blind to seeing how you are with us even in our most difficult trials, if it's missing the, the true gospel message that, Jesus, you left heaven to come and walk in our place and to walk up the hill of Calvary, to pay for all of our sins, to be the peacemaker of all time. Yeah, God, that would be a hard message to hear. I pray, Lord God, that it would sink from our head to our heart right now, a message of grace, the free offer you have for us, that, God, you have made peace through your sacrifice. But, God, we want to be peacemakers. Lord, God, you have taken on all the unholiness and all the dirt and all the grime of this whole world that we might have holiness. So, God, make us holy. And you call us to come together. Even though you were abandoned at the cross, you now call us to band together to watch out for one another. God, I would pray that we would continue to do that in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of this hardship this summer, that we would be your, your people and salt and light to the world.